This is an exclusive presentation of WoWo 1190 AM and 1075 FM, giving you an in-depth look at all the stories, events, and topics that show how our officers serve and fight for our community every single day. Unholstered. Here we go, another edition of Unholstered. Hope you're having a great weekend. My name is Kayla Blakesley, one of your hosts here on Unholstered. I represent the media side when it comes to this show, talking about all things uh, law enforcement. Obviously, my co-host, Sophia, represents the side of law enforcement. Good morning, everyone. My name is Sophia Rosales-Gatina. I'm a captain with the Fort Wayne Police Department, and welcome to the show. This this particular uh, edition of the show has been long overdue, and I say that just because um, we've been inundated with so many questions, Sophia, about Indiana rather recently becoming, for lack of better terminology, a constitutional carry state. I know that could be debated depending on who you ask, uh, but that's what we're calling it here for just for sake of conversation. Um, and we've told listeners we promised we would get to all of their questions. We were just simply trying to allow enough time to get all of them. And boy... Do we have a ton of questions? And you brought in the experts to answer them. Uh, but before we get to these fellas that you brought in studio, I want to throw out my own disclaimer. Can I do that, Sophia? <laughs> you can do about... that. Go right ahead. <laughs> so, you know, we've been talking about this a lot. And, and really, you're not hearing a lot of legislators talk about this legislation. We didn't going into it. We didn't even when it passed here in the state of Indiana. We're not hearing a lot of comments from our governor. Um, but one of, the, one of the big pieces, at least to us, was the fact that most, not all, most members of law enforcement weren't really in favor of this becoming law. And and it was hard for me in my line of work that I do to get to the bottom of why that was or why that is. And same with legislators, folks who were even in favor of it. I had a hard time getting to the bottom of, well, why are you in favor of it? So I had, I've had a lot of folks recently just, you know, um, upset with me that I haven't challenged you, Sophia, or challenged a lot of the guests that you have brought in to talk about this particular legislation. And I just want to throw out there, that's not what you and I do. That's not what the show is about. The show is strictly a fact-finding mission. And I walked into this with you, Sophia, and I even said, I said, convince me. Convince me one way or the other, whether this legislation is a positive thing or a negative thing for the state of Indiana. And that's just where I'm at with law enforcement. I genuinely want to hear all sides of the argument, not only so I can make good decisions about it and understand my why, but so that listeners can, too. Right. We're just here to give you some opposing views of what yours might be. You don't have to believe anything we say on this show, but understand that I'm coming from a different perspective as a law enforcement officer, and Kayla's coming from a different perspective as a citizen. And sometimes we agree on a lot of things. And sometimes I just have a little bit more maybe experience with things that some other people don't. And I think people get mired down in this idea that everyone is like them. Mm -hmm. People are not you. Mm -hmm. There are bad people in society, and you have no clue what they do or how they act or how laws affect them in a positive or negative way. Um, so just listening, being open-minded. I'm not here to change your opinion on anything. I'm just here to present some opposing views on some things. Take my truths as they are. Or not. That's completely up to you. But I think that's the essence of this show. We're giving you information. Yes. You take it and you do with it what you want. Do your own research. Find out the answers. Don't just listen to one side and then regurgitate what they say and, and take that as gospel. I'm just here to present a opposing view. And I do so as a member of the Foreign Police Department. I am not here... Um, privately as Sophia the Citizen. So that'd be a different show, maybe it would be a different show. <laughs> it would be completely. In about six years when I retire we can do Ooh, that. Oh I show. can't wait. That's a good tease. That's what they call a good tease in yes. the biz, Sophia. Um, but overall I think, you know, we just need to be open and honestly, I don't make these laws. No. 
I can have my say. I'm a voting member of this state as well. I vote every election, and I vote for people who align with my values. And sometimes they get it right. Sometimes they get it wrong. But I don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. I'm not going to disavow someone for one opinion on one issue. I think that's absurd to do that. Um, but again, uh, that's my well that's said. my take on this. Yeah, well said. Well, I just kind of want to throw that disclaimer out there. I, I'm quite frankly, I'm just tired of people saying it to me. Hey, uh, say this, bring up this, ask that, debate this. And that's just not, like you said, it's not the essence of this show. It's no. not the essence of this topic. It's not. How, and it's very offensive, honestly. It when really people is. tell me that I'm not for the Constitution and all this stuff, that's offensive to me yeah. because every day I back the Constitution. Yep. I don't know about anybody else, but I don't know that they're going to get sued because they misstep or they make a mistake. I put my butt on the line every day doing that. And so does every single one of those police officers around the nation. And we are tasked with upholding the laws that your legislators make. Don't get mad at me For because them. I have to enforce yep. them. That's my job. Mm-hmm. If you don't like the law, then approach your legislature and do something about that. Or run for office. There's uh, an there idea. you go. So we brought in uh, two fellas. Uh, one is a familiar voice to kind of answer the questions. And here's what we're doing. I, y'all have the same list I do. <laughs> I ripped these qu- questions right from listeners. They were submitted via our text back line that we have here at the radio station. Uh, emails. Um, some of them I did get in person that I wrote verbatim down in my cell phone in my notes section, um, and I ripped them all verbatim. Some of them um, are kind of repetitive. I've seen a lot of questions about reciprocity, so we'll get to that. Uh, but genuinely, Sophia, I want to answer the questions as they came in. I don't want to change them around. I don't, you know, I just I want to be as transparent and honest in answering all these questions as we can be. So absolutely, um, if some of them are repetitive, maybe we'll skip over them. But it might feel like we're bouncing around a little bit because we're just taking them as they came in. Right. Yeah, but first, we probably need to introduce our guests. Yes, please. Yes. <laughs> We've been talking back and forth. Um, I brought two gentlemen in. Uh, one was able to make it this time. He wasn't out of town. Uh, but these are the two gentlemen that actually went down and testified to the state legislature about constitutional carry. And they had really good things to say. And I just want people to understand this is not legal advice we're giving you here. You st- if you have legitimate questions, you probably ought to talk to an attorney or call up the legislature who, who made the law and get an explanation. We're kind of giving you how we're going to be doing things yeah. as we move forward. Um, and... We just want to explain to you how we understand this and how we as a department is are going to be enforcing or not enforcing things. So go ahead, gentlemen. I want you to introduce yourselves. I'm Detective Mark Deshays, again, with the Gang and Violent Crime Unit of the Fort Wayne Police Department. And Matthew Foote, also uh, part of the Gang and Violent Crimes Unit. And as Sophia mentioned, you both went down to the State House uh, to speak um, regarding this legislation. You spoke in all the hearings, right, that happened? There yes. were multiple hearings. Multiple hearings. Um, so obviously you're both really educated in this. And I just I, I just want to come out of the gate swinging with these questions, if that's okay. Um, full transparency, Sophia, we gave both of you the list ahead of time, so you did know it was kind of coming at you. That's only fair. Well, well, I think a, that's only a fair. Lot, there's yeah. a lot to unpack. There is yeah. a lot to and unpack. And this law has just been signed, and it doesn't go into effect till July 1st. And there's a lot of questions that need unpacked and figured out in that time frame before the law actually goes into effect as well. So that everybody has a fair understanding of it. And, you know, and, that, and again, it's not just for citizens. Probably, I'm assuming, for you guys for as well. For us as well. Oh, sure. Yeah, yes, there's sure. a lot yes. to unpack. I feel like the number one most common question we actually got was about reciprocity. Can you maybe just address that out of the gate? So reciprocity is the agreement between states 
that allows you to carry a handgun between different states. And essentially it deals with the fact that if one state has checked you and determined that you're a permitted person, that other states agree that that's fine with them for you. If you're permitted in one state, they agree that you can be permitted in their state as well under those guidelines. So the c concern with constitutional carry is now that there's no longer a vetting process, constitutional carry typically doesn't cross state lines. Uh, constitutional carry, as the law is written in Indiana for this law, will apply only to residents of Indiana. It will not apply to out-of-state residents, so they will still need to have a gun permit. And conversely, when Indiana residents travel to other states that allow for carrying concealed weapons, they will need a permit from Indiana in, a, in accordance with their those state laws. So this does not do, let me make this clear, this does not do away with the permitting process. No, we, we are maintaining a permitting process in the state of Indiana for the means of reciprocity. Okay, let's start here. The very first question that you all have on the same sheet that I have says, and I'm assuming, Mark, this is actually from the episode a while back that we did on constitutional carry where, where this particular listener heard this number, and I don't even know that this was the right number, but I'm going to, I don't think it was if my memory serves me correctly, but I'm going to read it as they sent it. It says, hey, Kayla, I heard the stats this morning that 700 of those applying for gun permits were denied. I would ask of those 700, how many were wrongfully denied? Mark, do you recall those numbers? I don't feel like it was 700. It was much lower. And I think yes. Matt's got the actual, it was in the 600s, but wrongful denial. Yes, there, there's denial for all manners of issues and you know maybe because we only have a short time frame that, that was not you know completely delved in but you know those denials can be for such things as serious as felonies it can be for such things as not signing your forms can be a denial because you're not swearing or affirming that you're giving the right information mm. so those denials cross a, a large genre I, uh, I think Matt would be better to speak on the actual numbers I think I think what people don't know is that this check and balance system for the permitting process was a multi-layered uh, check and balance system where locally there is a criminal background check done for folks that wanted to obtain a permit. And once that was complete, that gets sent down to the state and the state is, has the final mm -hmm. say for approval. And, and if somebody does not get a permit, then they can uh, go through the administrative process to challenge that. Uh, you know, our, our permits locally uh, were denied for uh, a battery of uh, reasons and included uh, people not admitting to convictions, domestic battery, battery, uh, mental health reasons, uh, people that did not uh, disclose that they were uh, already felons or resisting law enforcement. There's a, there's a whole host of reasons why people were denied. But I guess the biggest thing is, is that this was a, a multi-layered system that if we denied somebody locally, well, that still had to go to the state and be approved, or uh, they didn't approve it, and people got their permits anyways. So what I'm hearing you say, there are really a huge number that are, quote, wrongfully denied their permit. Correct. This is a vetting process that, that worked very well. And I guess I, I guess I have tar terminology of wrongfully denied implies some sort of malice. But the fact is, if you're denied, you had the appeal process and you could appeal your case. And this, this question specifically said that this person was denied and appealed and got his permit issued. Uh, and that's the whole purpose of this check and balance system is if there's it allows if there's an error for it to be corrected, 
there's a way to correct there's that. A, there's a method right. to we correct it. We see it all the time, too. When when people get issued warrants, a date of birth gets messed up or a name gets messed up. People in the same families and, you know, the brother gets the warrant instead of the other brother. Things happen. Clerically, er, clerical errors are made. And when you go there, but there is a system in place to, to challenge that and to, to find resolution for that. And then this person was able to get their permit. So... The system is working, and it's working how it's intended to work. Let me skip to a question on the very back, fellas. It's on the very last page. Um, this was a real-life scenario. I just ran into someone over the weekend who asked me to ask you all this question um, on this show, but it kind of goes hand-in-hand with what we're talking about. This this individual said that he was denied a permit in Fort Wayne for an incident that occurred in New Jersey 30 years ago. Um, and he said he recently passed a background check to purchase a firearm, but when he applied for the carry permit, he was denied due to this New Jersey incident. He said when he tried to repeal it, he was told that he needed the documentation from that incident, which he told me was 30 years ago, so he no longer has. He's like, I don't know where those papers are. I don't know where those documents are. So he, he straight up asked me, what am I supposed to do? And I said, I don't know. That's a question for Detective Deshays. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of this gray area, and I've read scenarios very similar to this uh, where there's you know discrepancies. People get gun permits, but then they get denied on the background check by federal firearms per- licensed dealers, or conversely, they can be approved, or they have stuff, you know, skeletons in their closet that should prohibit them, but they were approved. You know, unfortunately, I think when we get into these scenarios specifically, I hate to offer legal advice to this person. Sure, totally understandable. On on the very narrow confines, because I don't know what his issue was 30 years ago. Some things do not just drop off. Uh, Some things, especially when we're talking interstate issue, you know, we may not be able to retrieve something from New Jersey and review it correctly, so we can only go over the factual basis of what it might say on paper. Uh, and that's where he would need to maybe just go and apply for those records to to allow for a better understanding of what happened and how it affected him specifically. But when this law goes into effect July 1st, that incident essentially won't matter. It does. Well, that's not true because if it was a felony, let's say hypothetically this was some prior felony that happened some long okay. term ago and that's what denied him. That felony still exists, and if he all of a sudden mistakenly believes that he can constitutionally carry, um, then he could be subjecting himself to mm-hmm. an error in his thought process that could be a restable offense. So, I mean, it, for him specifically, these types of cases that are very complex, I would solicit the advice of a lawyer gotcha. to delve in because, you know, I would hate to uh, mistakenly think that I can do something and then find out by way of illegality that I've done something completely wrong. So, I mean, I, I, I would be very concerned and very interested to hear what the rest of this is, uh, but I, I would hold my opinion until you could. we know more about that. This is what was so nice about the permit process, because uh, it, it automatically gave people a background check and explained to people why they were denied mm-hmm. and what, or, or what steps they needed to take to become a permitted person. You know, things happen when you're a juvenile that you think are sealed and that's the end of it. But some of those things carry through and some of those will prevent you from from obtaining, you know, the ability to carry. So I just want people to be aware that it's never everything is not just black and white, especially when it comes to this. And we're learning, too. I mean, this is new for us, too. Yeah. So, you know, we're just trying to give you the best that we know at this point of what this law means. 
I, I kind of want to move down on this sheet. Um, this one does get a little bit more political, so I hope that's okay. <laughs> uh, but this is this is a very political topic, whether we like it or not. But it says, I can very much understand law enforcement not wanting to allow just anyone to walk around with a sidearm. But is it constitutional to deny someone a sidearm if they have not been adjudicated and found guilty by a jury of their peers? Is that not infringement? I, I think that there's a misunderstanding. I think that, because reading through the questions that were uh, submitted, I think there's a general tone that law enforcement does not want people armed, and I think that's completely erroneous. That's, I mean, that's exactly true, because, Mark, one of them says most of these police chiefs yes. would prefer no one have guns at all. Yeah, and that's we, simply not true. We encounter people every day that are lawfully permitted people, and, and, and they go about their business just in every manner, and we support that 100%. What we're trying to do is keep guns out of criminals' hands. That's it. The per, you know lawfully lawfully uh, occurring people they they have every right to carry a handgun and we support that and I you know this question says do, do we not want them walking around I support that a hundred percent like mm -hmm. I discussed before my daughter has a gun permit you know like I support her as, uh, I have some additional requirements for her as my child to be more upschooled on carry and her ability to use it but you know like constitutionally yes it would be a constitutional violation if we were just saying. You shouldn't carry, but what we're saying is, as long as you're not a prohibited person, person yeah. you can carry. But you know, I want to actually take some time out on this question because, as we're looking at the Bill of Rights and the Constitution, the Second Amendment, Bill of Rights, I can look at several of those Bill of Rights: freedom of assembly, freedom of religion, freedom of the press. They all come with limitations set forth by the courts. This is no different. Um, there are limitations already, and I see people. I see people all the time. Shall not be infringed. Does that mean we're going to allow our eight-year-old to carry a handgun? Because they're a citizen of this country too. I, I mean, there has to be some kind of common sense when it comes to things like this. Like, I can see that. I like can not see why fire we wouldn't in a movie carry. Yeah, yeah, you know, you, you can't libel someone. You can't slander someone. You, you know, there's limitations on freedom of assembly. Right? Um, it has to be peaceful. You can't block streets. You can't. You know, do all sorts of things. I mean, there are the courts have set forth even religious limitations. Um, you know, in terms of I, I think back when the Mormons challenged their um, marriage mm -hmm. to different to several people. You know, it it happens. The court said no, you can't do that. Right. Um, so there's the courts say a lot of things. And like I said, when people say we're not, you know, protectors of the Constitution, I'm like I'm protecting the Constitution every day. Every day, yeah. Um, and I'm protecting it with not only my life but my my sense of life as well, because I can be sued. I can be sued civilly as well if I violate those constitutional rights of people. And that's that's what I'm saying here. I mean, don't say that police are not prote protected of the Constitution because we do it every day. Okay, I want to piggyback everything you just said with another question straight from a listener because, again, I feel like these kind of go hand in hand. And I'm just reading it verbatim. These are not my words. It's, it's the listener words here. It says, where else in society are law-abiding citizens forced to go through a process to be put on a list of innocent people? It is not our job to prove we're not guilty. That is the assumption. Why not work on providing police departments with the ability to access the databases they need in order to determine if someone is a prohibited person? I would have loved to have that to happen before any of this happened. <laughs> say, wouldn't that be nice? That would yeah. be great. Yeah. And maybe they probably should have thought about this before they en and enacted this. If that's, if that, I agree. I agree that you know it's it's one of those things where I wish we had the ability to do this very quickly, uh, but we 
actually kind of do, and it's this process, and it's free, and it doesn't take a lot of time. You go online, you fill it out, you present your ID, and boom, you got it. Um, it's just like freedom to move around the nation. You need a driver's license if you're going to be on the road to do that. And we spend time in the BMV, and we, we, we take them all our, you know, our eight levels of who we are. We have to do that to vote, and although that's not in the Bill of Rights voting, but it's still... Um, it, it's part of who we are as Americans, and we still have to have an ID to do that mm-hmm. here in the state of Indiana. So I don't. I guess I don't see it as a huge encumbrance on anything that I do to have to do this. But you know, some people do, and I think that's and it's, their it's no different. I guess the, like a simple analogy is we pay for our license plates, Kayla, mm-hmm. and we put a sticker on it that shows that they're valid. And we drive around with those license plates every day, and that's a symbol that says we paid for them. Now, we could say that we assume everybody has paid for their license plates on the street, and we could do away with license plates, and because then we wouldn't need the burden to prove that they've paid for their license plates. It's a simple measure uh, just to assure legality and compliance. That's it. Okay, we are already 20 minutes in, so what I want to try to do <laughs> is just rip through some of these sure. as quickly as we can. I feel like we kind of got... The political ones, for the most part, sort of out of the way. So hopefully we can rip through a lot of these. Um, that I, I'm just surprised, and maybe I shouldn't be surprised. I don't know. There's just there's a lot of lack of knowledge when it comes to what the heck is going on with this. There's no source of information. Um, you're right. There really there's no one just magical button on Google that nope. will, will give this all to you. So I want to start here because um, there was a lot of questions about this too. It says. Um, with this constitutional carry bill, what will become of the existing lifetime licenses? So the lifetime licenses are still going to be in effect. Right, okay. It's still an asset for, for people because then that obviously allows them to uh, carry out of state with reciprocity, reciprocity agreements. So it's not, it's not uh, something that uh, is just now thrown into the trash. Uh, it still has an asset because people can use it to carry out of state. Um, and they can show law enforcement that they're a permitted uh-huh, person. What do you know? <laughs> should they be in a situation where that's in question, yeah. they have that per se document that says, I've already been checked. This is the government has looked and said, I'm not prohibited. That's right. it. The bigger worry on that is, is if people, you know, different states have different carry laws. So Correct. people need to be more concerned with if they have a permit, they're, they're good to carry in other states, which honor our permit. But they need to be very uh, uh, knowledgeable about what rules exist in other states. Well, that kind of piggybacks to the next question. It says, um, I have an Indiana handgun license. Currently, multiple other states recognize my Indiana license for carry rights in those states. Will other states still recognize it? They'll still recognize Indiana's because our our carry permit process will remain in effect and it will still have the same stringent guidelines of ensuring non-prohibited people uh, their status. So nothing changes with that permitting process. It just removes that from state residents as being a issue. So you will still have the same stringent guidelines. Other states will still have reciprocity between us. Here... I'm not 100% sure really what this question means, but maybe you guys do. Um, it says, does law enforcement offer an opt-in agreement to a database that lets the officers know they might be carrying? I'm not quite sure what this person's asking. I think that they're asking, is there a opt-in as such, I have a permit, I want to tell law enforcement that I, I have a permit, like I, I, want to, I want to give this? consent to put my name in a okay. database so that should I be stopped, uh, it, it's there. That if they're if they have a gun permit, that system exists because the gun permitting system tells us that they're permitted. So, can I just throw this out there too as a disclaimer? If if you have a permit and you are a permitted handgun carrier, 
you, you should just tell police officers in the event that, that there is any kind of run-in, hey, I, I have a firearm or I'm, I'm permitted to carry one, right? That's, I mean, I don't feel like you need a database opinion. for that. That's right? an opinion. You oh, know, like, okay, well, I'm that, throwing my that's opinion That's an opinion. <laughs> it, you know, like, it depends situationally dependent. Um, I mean, we've discussed, we've had people on traffic stops that halfway through the traffic stop, the conversation comes up and they say, yeah, I'm, I'm carrying my handgun, I have my permit with me. So, I mean, if you're doing lawful events, then that's usually not a big issue. I think it's one of those things where in, in uh, several states, it's it's a crime not to disclose that you have a weapon and a, and a permit on a traffic stop when when there's a when there is a uh, a traffic stop or, or another involvement with police and you're carrying you you have to tell that and so I think it's just better for people just to be honest and say mm-hmm. yes I'm carrying I just want you to know right. I'm completely in that same line of thinking. Um, this one, I feel like we we kind of touched on, but I feel like it's really important to explain this. Um, someone wrote in saying that they read in the local newspaper um, that this would do away with background checks. And then they, they asked, is that true? Question mark. This does away with background checks to carry a handgun. Mm-hmm. The federal government has laws specific to purchasing handguns, and that's there's a federal law dealing with your purchase of handguns with a background check that the federal government does if you go to a licensed firearms dealer. But there's also people can, private parties, I can sell you a handgun personally, and there is no background check for that. Let's, let's talk a little bit about that. Can you kind of dive more into that? Because there's essentially two different background checks, and I just I don't know that people are quite understanding so there's when you purchase a firearm you get a licensed firearm dealer someone that the government is authorized to sell firearms they have to do a governmental background check on you and it's fairly uh it's a quick application maybe two or three pages and then they run it and then they give you an approval and that is your approval that the government says you can purchase that firearm you're not a prohibited person by their statute the permitting process in indiana is simply for uh, the carrying of a handgun. So that assumes you already have a firearm. Right. And so that is a separate issue. It just says, can I carry this firearm that I possess? Because you might have possessed it by someone might have given it to you. You might have been inherited a firearm from a family member, a parent. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have the right to possess it, that you are a permitted person or a pro- non-prohibited person. You might have the skeleton in your closet that tells you you still can't carry it, and because you didn't buy that gun, you don't know that. Okay. Um, unfortunately, we've come to the point of the show where we have run out of time. And this happens to us, I feel like, every weekend here on Unholstered. But here's here's what I'm going to propose we do. Because we still have a lot of questions to get to. We still have a lot of ground to cover. Let's just keep the conversation going, if you all can stick around, um, and carry it through for our podcast. So uh, for those of you listening right now, if you want to hear us answer the rest of your questions while we have the detectives in studio, hop on over to our podcast, Unholstered. You can download us anywhere you can download a podcast, and we will be sure to answer every single question that we have sitting in front of us on these sheets. There's just simply uh, not enough time, as, as we always run into that here on Unholstered. So again, find us on any podcast platform, your town, your team, your topics. This is Unholstered. Thanks for listening to Unholstered. Be sure to subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you listen. And remember, you can listen every Saturday morning at 1030 on WoWo 1190 and 1075 FM. Podcasts by Federated Media.